over the past 10 days, I've tried to at least understand the views surrounding Qasem Soleimani's assassination. And I in no way endorse any type of assassination. And I wish his ultimate end came differently through justice. And this kind of so-called general should have been on trial for crimes he's committed throughout the region. And that should have been the humiliating ending to this man's legacy. I firmly believe that. All of that said, what has been shocking is not so much the way he died, because unfortunately, assassinations have become the norm in this part of the world for way too long. What I find shocking is what seems to be sympathy towards his legacy. And I don't think that is the deliberate intent of many pundits and many academics and at times diplomats and dignitaries. I don't think they actually yearn for someone like Qasem Soleimani to rule over them. But I do sense that there is a problematic understanding with this man and what he meant to this part of the world. And I'll start off by just explaining my own personal conversations with several diplomats, dignitaries, and thinkers, none of them Lebanese. And there is a delusion, I think, that Iran is just one of many bad actors in this part of the world. And I think there's an equation of sorts that it's just a bunch of countries that are fighting each other. Iran is one of them. Iran is on one side. And there are, uh, there's another side that's equally problematic. One should be able to dissect every country's bad intentions in this part of the world. But that doesn't mean that you should automatically assume that they're all on the same footing, because they are not. I sense from these conversations that Iran seems to come across as better than Saudi Arabia. Better because it is less theocratic. Better because it resembles something closer to a Western liberal lifestyle. Albeit it is still far away from that, but not as far as Saudi Arabia. Also, I think there is a yearning, perhaps, I don't know what the word should be here, but a wishful desire that Iran could one day become allied to Western interests. And how to get there, the path going forward, I don't think is correct. And I'll explain this a little later. Also, it is, I think, over time, and this has become a decades-long issue, that because Iran's Revolutionary Guards have been part of the story for long, long stretches of time, going back to the 1980s and 1990s, and it's just become part of the norm here, that I think there's a trend that their interests in the region are so, so almost normal 
quote unquote, that they are tolerable compared to new toxic ideas, whether that's ISIS or Al Qaeda and all the like. We'll get into that later as well. So the diagram, I think, is problematic to say the least, because it is not true that every country has an equal share of bad ideas in this part of the world. Further to that, I think there is a soft uh, trend going back now a decade that Iran's allies in the region, all the variety of allies, whether it's Hezbollah and Hassan Nasrallah, whether it's Assad of Syria, Bashar, or whether it's anyone that is speaking up on behalf of Iranian interests, I think there is a, an acceptance of those interests that someone like Bashar al-Assad, who's fighting the bad guys, fighting the crazies, fighting the Salafists, uh, defending a what looks from abroad like a secular way of governing, all of that stupidity, all of that poor analysis, I think allows a, a tolerance towards toxicity and dictatorship in this part of the world. And it is not true that Assad is a secular champion of good governance and, and decency. It's the complete opposite. And his dictatorship and his destruction of Syria is not really front and center, I think, today. I think there is a, a welcoming of Assad versus the crazies. And when I say crazies here, I mean it. There are opponents to Assad's rule that are crazy. They are no no one should in their right mind find any leniency towards a group like ISIS or Al-Qaeda or any of the type. Uh, these outfits are problematic to say the least and they should be rid of. But Assad's rule and Assad's tyranny and Assad's Assad's monster monstrous like way of defending family rule and defending the machine that keeps Iran entrenched in this part of the world and of course Hezbollah's willingness to stick up and fight for that regime survivability all of that combined is at least the majority of the reasons why you have groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda able to flourish that does not mean that Turkey's interests are good, or Saudi Arabia's interests are good, or the Emirates or any other country's interference in this part of the world is good. That is not what I'm saying. On the contrary, interference by default is problematic, period. But it should go without saying that Assad's legacy is a huge contributing factor to the blend of bad ideas fighting their way through Syria's uprising-turned-war. That's one side. So that is the analysis of, I think, the tolerance towards dictatorship and malignancy through proxy militia. I sense at the core, and this may be felt less among American pundits, it may be increasing incrementally, but it's still, I think, a remote way of looking among liberal American thinkers. I don't think it's there yet. But among European circles, there is a almost a 
eye-to-eye understanding of struggle and revolutionary mobility and a yearning for a poor, underprivileged population to fight for what looks like a struggle of upward mobility. And that is definitely a something that anyone should support the victim the victim should not be thrown away in history on the contrary victims especially in this part of the world should be looked at with sympathy and tolerance but i'm sorry hezbollah is not a representation of upward mobility and class struggle that is a stupid stupid uh, diluted at best and perhaps a, um, a byproduct of propaganda that Hezbollah represents the underclass, Hezbollah represents upward mobility, Hezbollah is immune to corruption, Hezbollah is the moral champion of all that is good. And this superficial understanding of Hezbollah's role in Lebanon and the region, I think is shared among enough European thinkers, and perhaps some, some, European diplomats, European dignitaries that see a way to accept something like Hezbollah because it looks familiar to them. Whether it's the uh, Cuba-like Castro Che Guevara stuff, or whether it's something in Latin America to sympathize with, or whether it's even a, a struggle for a, a genuine struggle, an economic struggle that I think a lot of Europeans buy into is a is a misguided way of looking at a militia that serves Iran's interests in the region. Hezbollah of 1984 is not Hezbollah of 2020. And many Europeans I sense don't see it that way, that they actually prefer looking at Hezbollah through the eyes of popular class struggle as opposed to terrorism, militia-like warfare, and perhaps the largest contributing factor to Assad's current rule in Syria. And then, I think shared among too many American and European thinkers today, there's a thread where America is perceived to be wrong always, that the U.S. is bad, period, when it comes to the Middle East. U.S. interference of any sort is bad. That's fine. Sure, a U.S. drone strike is problematic, to say the least, for sure. And Iraq should not be the battleground for a geopolitical war. That is true. I don't think, though, that putting the burden on America here is correct. And I say this because it is not the drone strike that is now unleashing Iranian uh, pushback against America, or for that matter, Iranian intentions in this part of the world. Strong criticism among what many of these thinkers deem to be U.S. imperialism is one thing, but that should not translate into an acceptance and a tolerance of what is true imperialism in this part of the world, and that is Iran's revolutionary guards, Iran's Quds Force, Qasem Soleimani and their proxy militia. And Iran has been systematically engaging in a proxy militia 
indirect takeover of the security and foreign policy matters of Lebanon, Syria, and Iraq. And you know what? At times they try, and other places too, and they don't always succeed. I think, I think at the end of the day, there's a dream, perhaps, that is shared among certain American liberal thinkers and perhaps future policymakers and the likes of Qasem Soleimani, which is you will have drone strikes in Afghanistan and drone strikes against Salafists, where Iran, whether it's Hezbollah or Iran's Revolutionary Guards themselves and the CIA coordinating strikes against Salafists, and the dream becomes that this is the common enemy and Iran is fighting our fight as well. And I really think that is a misguided approach when it comes to engagement with Iran. It goes without saying, Al-Qaeda is bad. But anyone challenging Assad's rule is not necessarily always bad. And there were many decent Syrians that stood up to the tyranny of Bashar al-Assad, and half a million Syrians lost their lives wanting a better Syria. Millions of Syrians fled Syria because of Bashar's ruthless rule. It's a mistake to look at Assad as someone that we can turn to, as opposed to a butcher who should face trial. In The Hague, or in any way possible, this man should not be ruling Syria. All that aside, I was going on social media the past 10 days and just trying to gauge the reaction to the drone strike that killed Qasem Soleimani. And I was shocked. And it's almost like America has gone so inward looking today and that inward looking, uh, that tunnel vision, I think, or perhaps a combination of tunnel vision and hatred towards Donald Trump, I think has allowed for a mass hysteria to take fold. Where Qasem Soleimani's killing is suddenly a prelude to an invasion of Iran. I don't often turn to Michael Moore for a for a for any understanding when it comes to the Middle East he's not the uh, the man for uh, for any historic analysis or political punditry when it comes to Middle East affairs but he has a voice and he is part of the liberal base in America I don't think he represents all Democrats I don't think he necessarily represents all far left Democrats liberal thinkers either. I think he's just an entertainer. He's a filmmaker, but he has a voice. And he is on news channels, and he's interviewed regularly, particularly by MSNBC. And it's stupid, to say the least, where he's at, on Twitter trying to engage Khamenei in letting cooler heads prevail. Or it's even outrageous, where his analogy of Iranian mourners rushing to the streets, mourning Qasem Soleimani. And Michael Moore's reaction is that Americans would never do the same because Americans would never 
mourn their generals the way Iran mourns its generals. How much Kool-Aid do you need to drink before reaching that conclusion? And how silly do you need to be? And how poorly briefed should you be to reach that conclusion? I'm sorry, but the true heroes of the past months in this part of the world are the decent Democrats, and they are on the streets. They are the ones fighting for their dignity. They're fighting for democracy. You have protesters, you have demonstrators in Iran challenging their regime, in Iraq doing the same thing, at times in Syria whenever they're, whenever they're allowed to breathe, and in Lebanon. And Lebanon has really shined these past three months. But it's shined, and it's not on the news all the time. Thankfully, because it's been a largely non-violent moment in time. Iraq has been bloody. Thousands of Iraqis have died standing up to geopolitical nightmares and also standing up to Iran's order in this part of the world. And they've done it. And they keep doing it on a daily basis. Iranians have been doing the same thing. Iranians have been going on the street, calling on their regime to fall. Internet blackout. And the regime fought back. And Qasem Soleimani is part of that story. And potentially thousands of Iranians have died as a result. So Qasem Soleimani is no hero. And these Democrats, these decent protesters, are the heroes of the moment. Michael Moore has it all wrong when it comes to his Middle East analysis. Also, Hysteria towards Saudi Arabia. Of course, criticism is necessary. And holding Saudi Arabia to account is equally acceptable. There's no moving away from that. And September 11 and Saudi Arabia, that American inability to accept and openly challenge Saudi Arabia's unfortunate role in the lead-up to 9-11, and perhaps the aftermath as well. That story, that legacy, of course, should be addressed, and it's an unfortunate thing that Saudi Arabia has not been held fully to account when it came to that horrible, horrible event in American history. And you could argue as well, America's relationship to Saudi Arabia is in itself problematic. But that's a far stretch from Saudi Arabia's role in this part of the world today versus Iran's role in this part of the world. That does not mean that if you are challenging Saudi Arabia in America and you want America to sever ties with Saudi Arabia, that you need to then look to Iran in sort of a, with a sympathetic eye. And I don't think Obama's policymakers love Iran. I don't think they wanted to go all the way in saying that, you know, we got Iran wrong, that they are true heroes and that they are Democrats like us. I don't think that's the case. I don't think America was ready to fully embrace Iran with Obama's White House at that 
legacy. I don't think that's true. But there was definitely a misunderstanding when it comes to Iran's intentions in this part of the world. And the openness at times, John Kerry and Iran and Lausanne and these meetings with Zarif and that kind of persuasion on Lake Geneva where things looked for a moment like America was perhaps opening up too much to Iran. And at in the background, the nuclear story, Iran's nuclear weapons, Iran's nuclear intentions, sorry, those intentions, whatever they are, cornering that issue and making that the achievement of Obama's years in the White House when it comes to Iran, I think is foolish. Iran's proxies in this part of the world have had no punishment and that is a huge problem when it comes to moving the Middle East out of its stagnation, out of its economic decline, out of its wars and violence. Iran's proxies are front and center and they have not been challenged. The nuclear issue, yes, it was discussed. Iran at least seems to have paused its nuclear technology development with the second term of the Obama White House. But now reading that, it's Trump that shattered all that was good out of those negotiations. And everything was fine until Trump took the White House. And that Iran was engaging and Iran was doing its job and Iran was a positive contributor to Middle East stability. I mean, these voices that are, in a way, unable to see beyond those negotiations in Lausanne and Geneva, I think today are unable to see just how damaging Iran's legacy has been in the Middle East. Yes, it is important to hold Trump to account. And of course, it's important to challenge the assessment, whether it's intelligence information or whether it's contingency plans following a dramatic strike like what happened nine, ten days ago with Qasem Soleimani's death. All that's important. And I think these are wise and necessary words when it comes to potential policymakers and U.S presidential candidates and that is the kind of language that is necessary you don't want to shy away from that on the contrary you want that to be the case whether you're republican or democrat but you don't want that language to go beyond holding your president to account you want to remain fully supportive of local actors determination and their fight for democracy and a fight for a normal state of affairs and it is absolutely necessary for outsiders with influence to support and embrace protesters trying to achieve those dreams. It is wrong to appear on the side of dictatorship and by default on the side of proxy militia with their perverted propaganda and persuasion. That's the job of Iran's ruling class. That's the job of Khamenei. That's the job of Rouhani. That's the job of Zarif. And that was the job of Soleimani. Hassan Nasrallah included. That's not the job of champions of democracy 
And that is clearly not the role of Democrats seeking control in America. Anyone, conservative, Democrat, progressive, liberal, centrist, all of the above, anyone living in a democracy abroad who wants something better for this part of the world should stand on the side of demonstrators that remain on the streets in January 2020 fighting for decency and fighting for their dignity and not appear to be standing with the likes of Qasem Soleimani.